0: It's Tuesday night, March 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2022. You will never guess it, but we're jam-packed tonight. We've got wall-to-wall q and I've grown to love this format. We are high atop very, very bustling downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And we've got a lot to get to, and we're going across, like I said the other night, the entire spectrum of college football, cult heroes in this sport, especially ones that never won a national championship. Start thinking now, because I had one that, boom, when you guys asked, just immediately came to mind. Cult figures, your favorites, that may never have won a national championship. The casuals are out there. They are usually at their worst this time of year, and you guessed it, yes. They are, they are doing their best to compare the round ball to the not round ball, college basketball to college football. And so uh, one of you asked a question about how we defense against this. There's no spray. They don't sell at the gas station that can just rid you of casuals. But don't worry. We'll do our very best to... Give you the anecdote on tonight's show. Also, a very, very important discussion, probably one of the most important discussions that you and I will have over the next, what, two years or so. And that is, what's going to happen to the SEC on CBS theme music once the SEC contract expires with CBS? We know the league is going to ESPN. What's going to happen to that music? A lot of you have let that become the college football equivalent of like your Star Spangled Banner. It's the most beautiful piece of sporting intro music than many of our opinions that has ever been composed. So what's going to happen with it? Well, I got some ideas, and I'm not just so quick to think that ESPN is going to fumble this. So let's give them a fair shot. They're watching us tonight in Jefferson City, Missouri. They're watching us in Alpharetta, Georgia, and they're watching us in Flagstaff, Arizona, wherever you are tuned in. Thank you so much. The only request right now, we'll have more down the road. Make sure you're subscribed to the pods or the YouTube channel or ideally, both make sure you're subscribed and a, a like five-star review those don't hurt but just the subscriptions alone they help us out let's dive into this show tonight I love our mailbag tonight I love where we're going I could do shows like this for the next year and a half although the season will eventually be here so we're not going to do this forever but we're going to kick it off tonight and we've been doing this show or this kind of show for uh, for like a week now and I see no end in sight JTog leads us off. JTog asked, what is your favorite cult hero in college football? Maybe a guy who didn't win a title or anything, but carried their team for a few years and has a fan base that swears by them. How about these two names? Denard Robinson and Juice Williams come to mind. So there's some Michigan and some Illinois love. I had one that came to mind immediately. And then I tried to think, okay, is there anyone else that compares to this person? I couldn't come up with anyone close to Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel If you looked up college football cult figure in the dictionary, number two there from the Aggies would have his picture in that college football dictionary. They never won a national championship, but his profile grew and grew and grew during that 2012 season. Then they go to Alabama, and of course, once they beat Alabama, he was on everyone's national radar. But, you know, if you were betting college football back then, and and you started to hear about him way before the mainstream college football casuals did, You knew about him. Uh, If you watched A&M, just uh, diehard college football already knew about him. But mainstream college football didn't really know Johnny Menzel until that Alabama win. But once that happened, it just blows up. And what I was thinking about when I came to Johnny Menzel is, number one, I don't think anyone else touches him. But number two, imagine if I were to take Johnny Menzel. Sometimes we play the little grab claw game. So we go and pick Johnny Menzel up and boom. Drop him into 2022. You know what we have today? Three letters that we didn't have back then. N-I-L. Johnny Manziel probably wouldn't even need to hurry up and get to the NFL because he probably would have been making enough in college. Consider what his market value would be worth. On the name, image, and likeness front alone, what his market value would be. Not only did he have that big national profile and he was a very polarizing figure, But imagine him playing for Texas A&M. Plus Texas A&M, just that Aggie logo alone, and then you combine that with Johnny Manziel. I can't imagine. I mean, he would rewrite the record books for years to come when it came to the NIL game. He would be setting the pace. You would not be talking about Caleb Williams. You'd be talking about Johnny Manziel. So that was the first thing I thought about. But then, if we were to try and get past Johnny Manziel, okay, so I've established that's my slam dunk. That is the cult figure that I think about. Who else do we have? We're looking at guys who were high profile that may not have won a national championship. And um, I think Tyron Matthews is another one. I mean, he had his own nickname. You know, if you're a defensive player and you get your own nickname, Honey Badger, for those unfamiliar, I think that's a pretty big deal. And Tyron Matthews' name started to really blow up during that 2011 season, I believe it was. And especially when LSU beat Bama, and then LSU goes on to win the SEC championship. Now they got run in the national championship game, but by then, the, the stature of Tyron Matthew had already been established and solidified. And Ty, I mean Tyron Matthew was getting Heisman love now. And he was a guy on a loaded defense down there. And he stood out. So he's the defensive guy for me. I was talking to Jesse and Colin. They threw Dominican Sioux out there. Yeah, for Nebraska. and Sioux, a guy that I thought was the best player in the country in 2009. How about Michael Vick? You know, if you want to go back 20 some odd years ago, it was early 2000s, Uh, Michael Vick would be another guy who fits that description. Got Virginia Tech to that national championship level. Uh, Didn't win one, but got him to that level. But Mike Vick, you know, I think of any of these guys in the NIL era. And I think of what they would do. And those are the three names. Johnny Manziel first and foremost. But Mike Vick, Tyron Matthew, just for entertainment's sake, I'd love to see what they would do modern day. Good question there, though, to lead us off. Now we've got one that is near and dear to certain staff members hearts and i won't name anyone because director colin doesn't deserve that but eagle is up next and i assume this knx stands for knoxville and eagle knx asks do you believe that hendon hooker tennessee quarterback could be a top three quarterback in the sec next year shame on some of you because you just scoffed i heard it i heard it clear as day some of you scoffed tennessee can't have nice things Just because that's the way it has been doesn't mean that's the way it always has to be. I think some of you may be shocked at how good Hendon Hooker was last year. I'm going to read you some numbers. You're going to think I'm making them up. I'm not. What if I told you that Tennessee barely bowl eligible? You know, Tennessee had their ups and downs. But what if I told you there was a quarterback last year that threw for nearly 3,000 yards, 31 touchdowns to three interceptions, had a 68% completion percentage, And also tacked on 50 rushing yards per game, just for the heck of it. You would think, wow, like which New Year's 6 team was that guy playing for? That was Hendon Hooker. That was him last year. And so if we are to believe, and this is not some crazy notion, if we are to believe that in year two, Tennessee may have their act together, especially offensively, even more so than they did in year one, and we are to believe that now you've got some synergy and maybe a little bit more continuity, and Hendon Hooker is still at quarterback for you, I don't think it's crazy to think that he could improve on those numbers. and that's not an automatic. This is sort of the poison that a lot of preview magazine culture slips you into. So I want us to be careful. We want to always guard against preview magazine syndrome around here. We don't just assume because you did something good last year and you're returning, you automatically improve by 15%. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I would be very surprised if he were to put up something better than a 31-3 TD to INT ratio. That's hard to do. I mean, some of the best in the country don't do that. But he doesn't have to necessarily up those statistical numbers to be one of the best three quarterbacks in the conference. Now, this is all relative to who else is in the conference. You got Bryce Young. No, I don't think Hendon Hooker is going to be better than Bryce Young. But then you start looking elsewhere. LSU, don't even know who it's going to be. AM, don't know who it's going to be. Auburn, don't know. Stetson Bennett, presumably at Georgia. I think statistically Hendon Hooker could be a better quarterback than that. We we presume it's Anthony Richardson at Florida. Yeah, I think Hendon Hooker can be better than him. Spencer Rattler. There's no reason to know what to expect there yet. It's also got a lot to do with supporting cast. So at the very least, it's reasonable to think that Hendon Hooker could be competitive with or better than Spencer Rattler this year. You see where I'm going here? Start to look around the conference. You got Jefferson up at Arkansas, very good player. He could also be in this conversation. Jackson Dart probably the starter at Ole Miss, but has never played a down there yet. So there's a lot of uncertainty at the quarterback position in this conference. So you give me a guy that threw it nearly 3,000 yards last year, 31-3 touchdown to interception ratio, 68% completion, and can run the ball, and he's playing for a guy I trust offensively in Josh Heupel, who enters his second year now. Organizationally, I like where they're at. Yes, yes, absolutely. In fact, this is where you're really going to love it, Colin. I'd be surprised if he wasn't a top three statistical quarterback in the SEC this upcoming year. Where am I wrong? Uh, Is there any reason to believe he's going to fall off? I don't think so. So Now, we got questions about Tennessee on the other side of the ball. You know, corner, we talked about that uh, at great length the other night. But, yeah, quarterback, I feel pretty good. And you don't say that about a whole lot of teams in the conference right now, but I feel pretty good in knowing where Tennessee is at quarterback. Roll it along. Here we go. I like the pace we're on so far. Let's keep it up. I let the show go like 45 minutes the other night. We were aiming for like 35. This question is going to be asked a lot. Um, It's going to be asked probably every year around this time until Nick Saban's gone. So we're going to take our stab at it here. Kobe J asks, who do you think could be the next Saban-like figure or Bama-like program? And uh, when Nick Saban retires is really what we're talking about here. I'm going to use some Some meteorological terminology here, really basic, or otherwise I couldn't use it. I think this is an impossible question to answer. My short answer is, I don't think we've got another Nick Saban run coming. I don't think we've got another run like bama has been on coming. To be clear, that is winning over half a dozen national championships and running off a decade and a half, at least, stretch of just utter dominance where you're either right there every year or you're winning it every year. I think it's going to be impossible to attain. It should be impossible for Nick Saban. But the um, atmospheric science portion of this comes in, and even if we did have that person out there, it would be impossible to predict that because it's impossible to predict a generational occurrence, or it's all but impossible to do it. Because how do we predict things? All your mind is really doing when you're predicting something is your mind's going back, and it's using historical data points to cross-reference against something in the present day or the future. So if you're looking at Ryan Day at Ohio State, or you're looking at Kirby Smart at Georgia or Dabo Swinney, whoever you choose to put in this blank for your own answer, we would be taking that person and then we would be looking at critical data points. Well, the point is, if any of those guys even were showing whatever characteristics would be necessary to be better than Nick Saban, you wouldn't be able to recognize it because you wouldn't have any historical data points to go back on other than Sabin himself. So that's one set. Other than that, who would you be comparing him to? No one else has even done what Nick Saban's doing. So there isn't, this, there isn't this huge swath of statistical criteria with which to draw from. And so even if that person did exist right now, it'd be hard to pick him out. But secondly, and this is a little more in your face, maybe so much so that you don't realize it right now, Nick Saban because of his greatness is essentially slamming the door on this conversation once he leaves the sport. And what I mean by that is when Nick Saban came to Alabama, the sport was ripe for him to take it over. You thought urban Meyer was in the process of doing it at Florida. It was really Saban who was about to come in and just totally hit the reset button. Whatever you thought constituted greatness in college football, he redefined it for you. Well, here's what else he did. Even though they've managed to remain dominant, when Nick Saban came in the picture, and then over the next 15 some odd years, he raised the standard for everyone. Think about your program. If you're a fan of a major program out there, think about how different your program is because of Nick Saban. It may not be in the win-loss column, but think about how differently you spend. Think about what you used to settle for that you don't settle for anymore. Uh, Think about how much more you spend, even when you adjust for college football inflation on staffers. Think about how much bigger your coaching staff is. Think about how much more of an investment you have in things like recruiting budget or facilities or nutrition or strength and conditioning. That stuff is at least partly due to Nick Saban and the standard that he set at Alabama. Well, here's what happens what happens is when he leaves, he leaves the sport in a much different way than he found it. When he came in, College football was right for someone like him to take it over, even if you are like Nick Saban. And I doubt we have another one out there like him, even if you are like Nick Saban. The collective level of this game has raised so much that it's unlikely even another Nick Saban is going to come in and run off a string of success like he's run off. So for those reasons, I don't see it. what, What I think we'll see is I think we'll see periods. We'll see windows. You know what USC did in the early 2000s? is a smaller microcosm of what Alabama's done for an extended period of time. I think we'll have those. There's no reason to believe, especially when Saban leaves, there's no reason to believe that Lincoln Riley couldn't run one off at USC or, or Ryan Day at Ohio State or, or you know who, whoever, Brian Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, Steve Sarkeesian, Brent Venables, let me just name every program in America so no one thinks I'm leaving them out. Yes, there'll be windows where someone out there ends up winning two titles in three years or 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 maybe even three titles in seven years I just don't think anyone's winning six of them over 15 or some odd years I don't think we're gonna see that that is really hard to do goes without saying
1: selling a little or a lot
0: Uh, Next up, yeah, we had to get around to this eventually, didn't we? Mark C., either fried or freed. Mark, I'm trying to figure out what I want to call him. Mark, here we go. Colin, here's your endpoint. Mark hits us up. Mark says, what's your response to the casuals that are using the current March Madness Cinderella's as a reason for expanding the college football playoff? Well, I hit ignore. Not literally. I'm not going Brandon Walker on them. I'm not just blocking them because I disagree with their viewpoint. But I do let it go in one ear and out the other. Number one, because I expect it. It's predictable. It's like the season's changing. You can set your watch to it. Every year, because that field is so big, you're going to see some upsets in the first and second round. And every year, because of those upsets, somebody is going to run to the nearest Twitter machine. And they're going to click, 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 send. And when they hit send something in the form of we need this college football is going to be in front of you what do you do with it at that point that's up to you you can't control them you can control you though uh, they don't believe it by it i mean they don't believe it themselves when they watch saint peters pull the upset over kentucky in round one of the ncaa tournament and they scream we need this or at least we need the opportunity for this in college football when the casual screams Look at St. Peter's. Look at what they just did against Kentucky. We need the opportunity for that to happen in college football. They don't even believe it. They don't. It's a straw man argument. They themselves have never walked it through to a logical conclusion because if they had, here's how easy it would be. It's like the lowest hanging fruit imaginable. You would say, excuse me, casual, with a lowercase C by the way, do you like college football's regular season? Yeah, I love college football's regular season. I just want there to be a better college football regular season. That's interesting. Which basketball team did you just mention? St. Peter's. Tell me about your favorite St. Peter's regular season game this year. And then drop whatever you have in your hand and make it metaphorical to a mic and just let them sit there. Let them take as long as they need to. Because short of Googling it, they won't be able to tell you anything about St. Peter's in the regular season. You know why? Because they didn't watch St. Peter's in the regular season because St. Peter's was irrelevant in the regular season. And for that matter, Kentucky was too, because you knew they were going to be there either way. And things that are happening in this tournament can be totally detached to what happened in the regular season. One of you asked another question that we could have included here. That is, hey, you know, I love March Madness. I also love college football's regular season. I think the answer is no, but is there a way that we could have elements of both? Could we have like this wild college football expanded postseason but also have the urgency that's built into the college football regular season. No, you can't. You just can't. You, you can't have the best of both worlds. There are all kinds of like childhood stories that you get taught and parables in the Bible and everything about how you were brought up has led you to what should have been these sorts of conclusions. You got something great over here, but then something else is great over here in this other yard. Can we blend the two? No. Like, I like applesauce. I like peanut butter. If I blend the two, I got something that's really, really nasty. I like March Madness. I've been watching the games just like everyone else has. I love college football's regular season. I watch those games, I attend those games just like everyone else. What I am, at least in this sense, smart enough to understand, is this is not apples to apples or applesauce to applesauce. It's just not. But for whatever reason, maybe it's because of social media and people just dying to say something profound that this exists? Because it's normally when it happens in March, and you know everyone wants to. I, I think I get so tired of this. Your buddies probably do it all the time. Maybe you do it all the time, or some of the time, maybe rarely, hopefully. You just you want to say something so profound. And so this time of year, that seemingly profound thing will be, something great's happening right now. Uh, let's make this ridiculous, unfounded, logicless argument on Twitter in like 130 characters and We're going to press send on it. And it's going to be one of those things that sounds good, but there's no basis in reality. No, no, you can't have it. People are going to tell you you can. People are going to tell you, oh, don't worry, you can expand the college football playoff and absolutely even have a better regular season. No, you can't. No, you can't. telling you you can't. Uh, Hopefully, we don't have to learn it the hard way, but no, you can't. But I would just, I would ask them that. Anyone who comes at you with St. Peter's as a reason for why we should expand the college football playoff Ask them, what do you think about the regular season? Now, if they tell you they don't value college football's regular season, they just want a big playoff, well, then you agree to disagree because ideologically, you're at odds at that point. But chances are, this casual that you're arguing with is going to go so far as to tell you, oh, I love college football's regular season. Well, then, use their own logic. You're telling me that this sport over here is superior because it has an expanded playoff, thus giving the St. Peters of the world the ability to do something that doesn't get to be done in college football, never mind how different this sport over here is and and St. Peter's would never exist in college football, never mind that. You don't even have to go that far down the road. Just ask them, okay, well, if you're arguing that we could have that in our sport and still maintain the sanctity of the regular season, tell me about St. Peter's regular season. Give me two or three of your favorite games that they played this regular season. They wouldn't have anything for you. They didn't even watch most of the big programs regular season even they have it baked into their mind. Unless you're a true college basketball diehard fan, you don't have any purpose for watching those games. And the diehard fans know they're watching it because they love the sport, not because there's a sense of urgency any given night. So I don't sit here and hate on college basketball. I'm perfectly fine leaving it alone, understanding that's its own thing. College football is its own thing. Unfortunately, everyone not there. There are not many things that we can agree on in life. Which is why Academy Sports and Outdoors is so important, because it's one of the few things that we can agree on. I was talking to one of you the other day, and it was from Olive Branch, Mississippi. And you sent me a picture. One of you had purchased a big spanking new smoker. And you had gotten it out of the parking lot, but you couldn't get it on the truck. But that's okay, because two of those employees there in the Olive Branch, Mississippi Academy Sports and Outdoors location helped you out. Uh, this is happening all over the country every single day. So I don't want to just single out Olive Branch, Mississippi. It's happening coast to coast. Thank you, guys. You know who you are. They're in Olive Branch. Smoker, that may be what you're in the market for. Maybe you just need a glove for your kiddo. Maybe you need a bike. And maybe you need a tent. You know, who who's among us doesn't at least want to go in Academy and look at those mini tents, if nothing else? Whatever you need. It's beautiful outside, virtually everywhere this time of year. And if it's not now, it will be in about 24 to 48 hours. Academy Sports and Outdoors is where you need to go. And if you can't get to one, I'm aware of this, not everyone grows up next door to an Academy Sports and Outdoors, but maybe you're watching the show and you want to help the show out and help yourself out at the same time. You got the internet. You have to have it. You're watching the show, academy.com, and they'll ship it right there to you. And then you can say, all right, I got what I need and the show's free. What's the catch? There is no catch. It's literally that simple and straightforward. Academy Sports and Outdoors is our best friend. They make the show available to you free of charge. You have things you need anyway, so why not patronize that entity, Academy Sports and Outdoors, that makes the show free? It's a win-win-win. Circle of life. I guess that's what they were talking about in The Lion King after all. Academy Sports and Outdoors, though. Uh, we appreciate them, and that's especially the place to be this time of year. Okay. We're rolling on here, and this is, this is a pressing question, and it's only going to come up more and more as this SEC with CBS contract uh, starts to wind down, I think, should have researched this. I think we have two more years on it. Um, I work here, so I should know, but I don't. Anyway, so here's the question. So Wani asked, will ESPN's game day intro song be worse than the SEC on CBS theme song? It's really tough to beat. Now we're about to play it in a second, but I want to cue up or, or tee up rather what he's talking about here. The SEC on CBS, that's that 3.30 Eastern time, game of the week, and they have iconic music. Even people who don't watch the SEC, they identify just the vibe of college football with this music. So for those three or four of you out there who are unfamiliar or you don't immediately recognize what I'm talking about, you will as soon as Colin rolls the track here. This is the SEC on CBS theme. No, it's game time when that music plays. Colin, you don't even have to kill it. Just kind of let it ride for a second. So anyway, this is what accompanies that CBS 330 SEC game. Well, the question here is when this contract is up, where's this music gonna go? Now, I read an article, I think like a year ago, and it was basically people at ESPN saying, no, we're not gonna license that music. We're not gonna buy that music from CBS. And look, nothing perfect ever actually occurs. So I, I assume that was going to be the case, unfortunately. If you and I were running college football, you know, if I was a college football commissioner, I would just executive order that music right over to wherever the SEC is going. And it would be, boom, done. Because it would be that easy if I was the commissioner. But where is that music going to be? Well, it's going to be locked in a vault somewhere, apparently. So the question then becomes, all right, what is, what is ESPN's SEC on ESPN music going to be? if they don't already just settle for what they have in-house. Is it gonna be as good? It's hard to beat perfection. But I will say this. I've seen some of you talk about this before, and and Colin and Jesse and I were talking about this the other night out in the office. Have you ever noticed how rarely these networks mess up theme music? I I love the CBS Major League Baseball theme music from the early 90s, because I associate it with my infancy. Uh, when the braves first started their run and i was first old enough to even watch a tv but also like the mlb on fox music is great the sec on cbs theme music is great nhl on nbc music is fantastic the monday night football music is fantastic these networks routinely nail it how about sunday night football on nbc that's great like all these theme songs are great so i say that to say It may be popular right now to say, oh, when the SEC on CBS theme music leaves us, it's going to be the end of an era. Nothing will ever top it. ESPN will fumble the ball fantastically trying to duplicate it. Look, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I'm just saying these networks have gotten pretty good at coming up with theme music. So if there is a new SEC on ESPN or SEC on ABC theme, I wouldn't just automatically discount it and assume it's going to suck water through a garden hose, as we like to say around here. Let's give them a shot, because outside of when Fox had the BCS contract back in the what was that, the mid to late 2000s, outside of that, I've been a big fan, virtually across the board, of the theme music that the next that, that the networks have given us. Now there are other things I'm unhappy with, but let's focus on the positive. So let's give them a chance. That's where I'm going I'm to bookmark this right now. We're going to give ESPN a chance, uh, and then if you elect me as commissioner before that, I'll just executive order this and. The SEC on CBS Theme Music will just travel with wherever the SEC goes. Uh, Next up, this is a complicated question here. And I don't exactly consider myself the foremost expert on this, so I asked a lot of you about it. Uh, The question was from CFB Dynasty. And he asked, why isn't college fantasy football mainstream like NFL fantasy football is? And what I did was I shot right back, said, I got a few thoughts, but what do you think? I got some of your input on this because I don't play a lot of fantasy. I used to. Back when fantasy football first became huge, I was hardcore into it. Ironically, as it blew up, I kind of went away from it a little bit. But that's okay, because I know most of you play it in some form or fashion, but you probably play NFL fantasy. There are a few of you who play college fantasy because you've asked me about it, and I never have a good answer for you, only because I'm not into it. Well, that's the question here. Why are even diehard college football fans, by and large, not playing college fantasy football? Well, there are a couple answers. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind is one that I'll get to in a second. But I asked you guys, and some of you, like CFB Jared, guy that we frequently go back and forth with, he said, well, I'll tell you, availability is a big problem. Apparently, and I don't know this, I'm going off your word, there are only a couple of the major services out there that offer college football fantasy, whereas you can get it across the board with NFL. Then a couple more of you mentioned something that I think is directly tied to this, and that is NFL is a lot more player-driven than college football is. College football is brand-driven. When you watch a major college football game and you see Michigan State playing, you may or may not know who Kenneth Walker is, but you know that Michigan State Spartan logo. You know you know the Virginia Tech Hokie logo. And so when you tune into these games, the players are only ever there three or four years, and then it just constantly rotates through. So a lot of the casual college football audience out there, which you would need to make fantasy huge, they don't know those rosters inside and out, uh, like they do in the NFL, at least. And secondly, it's even if they did, yeah, I, I don't really care how long the players are there. College football is always going to be a whole lot more about team than about player, whereas NFL is absolutely about player. Uh, that's why I think the draft, even proportionally, is bigger than National Signing Day is, and also free agency Is disproportionately followed a lot more than recruiting in the transfer portal is. People just care a lot more about the individuals, whereas they care a lot more about the teams in college football. Then there's the third aspect. I don't think people trust the unbalanced nature of college football. In the NFL, even if you're playing the Rams this Sunday and I'm playing the Jaguars this Sunday, we're still, like, our teams are both playing against professional competition. So, if we've got individuals from those teams, you know, if I got Matt Stafford and you got some, some running back for the Jaguars, look, I know that I may be playing a better team this Sunday than you, but when we say better, it means my opponent would be favored over your opponent by seven and a half or eight points on a neutral field. Dude, the, the vast gulf between strength of schedule and competition any given week in college football is not something that people are comfortable with being able to interpret themselves. They need an expert to explain it to them. They would never admit that because part of fantasy football is about the hubris. But internally, a lot of people are turned off by that. They think, ugh, they may be playing you know, a, a, an FCS directional school one week while this team plays Ohio State the same week. Like, how in the world am I supposed to decipher who to start? How, how would I know the difference? Think about this. Do you know the difference in the best Uh, let's say the number 10 G5 team versus the number 80 G5 team. Would you know the difference? Most of you wouldn't, because most of you don't really get into that. You know the top 10 or 15 in the AP, but you don't really know. When you get down the several runs of the ladder, you don't know. And also, you don't know about caliber of player. You don't know about the running back at Nevada versus the running back at South Carolina. You may go look at a mock draft and know, ooh, they say that running back at Nevada He's going to be a a first-day NFL guy in a couple of years. Uh, You think that means he's good? You don't really know anything about him. Whereas in the NFL, everyone knows everything about every player. Thirdly, you don't know about injury situations, nearly to the degree you do in the NFL. So there's a lot of factors that are just basically boiling down to unknown. There's so many unknowns and things that people are uncomfortable with in college football relative to the NFL. I think those are the reasons. But I will say this. I do think that, if anything, the direction that this is going to go, um, with it being such an untapped market, relatively speaking, is going to point in that direction. It's going to point in the up direction. So if there's a way to invest in college fantasy, I'd get in on that now. Next up, oh, this is ground level right here. This is very specific. College Football Unlimited said, uh, or asked rather, with South Carolina and Tennessee having improved quarterback play, Georgia replacing so many critical pieces, I know where this is going, and the potential consequences of success. Hello, proprietary, that's, that's terminology born on this show. What are the odds one of them can pull the upset this fall? Early at williams Bryce Stadium and after Florida, not the most favorable spots for Georgia. So what College Football Unlimited means here is uh, he's looking at the schedule. Georgia goes to South Carolina in week three, they play Oregon in week one, uh, they got a tune-up game in week two, and then they go to South Carolina in week three. And then Georgia plays Tennessee in week 10, but it's right after the Florida game. So, you know, it's reasonable to say uh, South Carolina, Tennessee, they got a decent, uh, decent schedule situation, at least against Georgia. Now, I'm a lot more interested in that quarterback situation. I'm a lot more interested in what Hendon Hooker is going to be this year. And then, obviously, when we look at South Carolina, Spencer Rattler is not an unknown commodity, because we've seen him before, but yet how it's going to shake out at South Carolina. I guess it would be fair to say it's still a little bit unknown. And unlike Tennessee, who plays this game in Week 10, South Carolina gets them early in the season. Now, I'll say this. I have long believed that South Carolina is the most underrated home field advantage in the SEC, and Georgia goes up there early. Georgia's got a lot to replace, obviously, but they don't, presumably, replace anything at quarterback. I say presumably, because there are a lot of folks in and around Athens who look and say Stetson Bennett thank you for winning us a national championship but we got Vandergriff over here we got Beck over here they're really talented they had a lot of stars next to their name coming out of high school Kirby preaches competition let's not assume anything well i'm going to i'm going to mildly assume that Stetson Bennett's going to be the starter there that does not give Georgia some wild talent edge at quarterback now what they're going to have always against these teams for the foreseeable future is a roster edge but they won't have a Bryce Young-level talent advantage in and of itself over these teams. Then you talk about the consequences of success. And for those of you unfamiliar, and that was in the question there, the consequences of success, those are intangible consequences, I guess is the best word to use, that you suffer only when you reach the mountaintop. And we've talked about it with Bama a lot. Uh, Jimbo faced this at Florida State. Urban Meyer faced it at two different stops. It's a set of problems that only exist for the ultra successful. There's a misnomer out there that once you get to the mountaintop, uh, Dabo's dealing with it right now at Clemson. Once you get to the mountaintop, the misnomer is, oh, well, you don't really have to worry about this, this, and that anymore like you used to. That may be true. But what you don't realize until you get there is that, that, and this over here in the corner that you never thought about all of a sudden is a problem. They're called the consequences of success. When you're more successful, you don't rid yourself of the amount of problems you have to deal with. You just get a new set of problems. Now, it's a privilege, because by default, the only way you're ever gonna deal with them is if you've won something big. Georgia just won something big. Saban won his first title at Bama in 09. His worst season followed in 2010. They lost three games. You know, when Urban Meyer won the national title in 08 at Florida, 09, they couldn't get it done, and then 10, it just falls apart. Uh, When Jimbo won it in 13, they went undefeated before the playoff the next year, but they got run in the playoff, and then the program eventually fades back into obscurity, and it goes off the rails completely a few years later. There are countless examples throughout history of programs that have gotten there, and then all of a sudden, you look and you say, why aren't aren't they just onward and upward? It's the consequences of success. You can never nail it down. It's not like you have the skill to say, that's going to cost them in this game. But what you could do is you could go into 2022 and then look up, and all, all of a sudden, Georgia's not even playing in Atlanta. And you're, you're saying to yourself, just like you did with Clemson last year, this looked like the most workable roster or workable schedule imaginable. How is Clemson not even in Charlotte? Wait, maybe you say that about Georgia this year. Maybe, maybe they lose two or three regular season games, and you're asking yourself, how is this possible? Do you remember how easy this path looked back in September? Yeah, crazier things have happened. So if that happens, my point is, could it be that week three date against South Carolina? Yeah, it could. Could it be that week 10 against Tennessee? Yeah, absolutely it could. Because everyone's gunning for him now. Now that's not different than any other year, but everyone's gunning for him now. And you got the whole consequences of success element in play. Now here's the thing about it. I know a bunch of Georgia fans are watching. You never believe it could happen until it happens. So I mention this stuff, even if it's theoretical, a lot of you guys are going to get bent out of shape someone's going to run over to the dog's 24-7 message board, because I know you guys, and you're going to say, you know, um, he predicted us to lose to either Tennessee or South Carolina. No, I didn't. I just said crazy things aren't out of the realm of possibility. I'm doing that that Italian emoji thing. It's not out of the realm of possibility this year is all I'm saying. So if it were to happen short of an obvious candidate like Florida, yeah, those would be two prime candidates to pull upsets this year. I am not ready here in March to predict that, though. What I am ready to do is thank you guys for being tuned in tonight. And also, I want to ask you to do something as we head out here. Very simple, but it helps us greatly. Subscribe to the podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you're listening. Just subscribe and subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's it. Likes, five star reviews, love those, but just subscribe. That's what March is subscription month right now. And it doesn't cost anything, and it doesn't tie you to anything. It's nothing like that. There's no secret check that you've uh, you've, you've un- unknowingly clicked, and all of a sudden we spam you with emails. It's nothing like that. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I promise. So just um, subscribe, and that's it. At late Kick, Josh. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, for producer Jesse, for director Colin. I'm Josh Bate. Thank you guys so much. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.